0: 32 counties. United by people. Je m'appelle Una. And I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland, beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. Uh, hi, Gay. Hi.
1: This week we're talking to Philly McMahon and Philip Connington about their new stage production of Party Scene um, as everyone celebrates the good bits of pride and the scraps that are going on in the background Party Scene, a highly evocative and emotional theatre dance piece delves into the darker side of things examining and celebrating the party scene uh, but chem sex, party drugs, sex, loneliness, community, hedonism and the queer underbelly that rarely gets a spotlight shined on it in Ireland. Excited,
0: excited to talk about this. Do you like this podcast? Would you like to keep it going? If so, go to patreon.com forward slash unitedireland to support the podcast for just three euro a month. It's a massive help. In fact, it's the only help we have to keep this show on the road. We really, really appreciate our existing supporters. You're absolutely brilliant. Thanks again for sticking with us. You're legends. If you want to join the ranks and get that gorgeous, warm feeling of making United Ireland with us, chuck us a few quid today. It would be massively appreciated and really helpful. Plus, you get the Sunday Soothe most Sundays to ease you out of one one week and into a new one with our meditative optimistic reflections on life and who doesn't need those but first I want,
1: to say, I want to shout out to everyone I met at the festival of body and soul it was like oh my god you make United Ireland it's my favorite podcast uh, and you introduced me to Roisin Murphy some I was like oh my god my my purpose in life has been achieved amazing um, so
0: yeah thanks a million yeah we love that we love people being sound about it really appreciate it nice one Okay, it's the state of the nation. What's going on there now, Andrea? Okay, Una. So,
1: straight off the top. <laughs> <laughs> uh, COVID's flying around again. Flying um, around? Flying around. Lots of cancellations and Trap and lots of close contact shenanigans with staff going on again. Great but also uh, 55% of patients uh, with COVID who are admitted to hospital are admitted because of the virus. So yeah, things are getting serious again. Uh, we've been told there won't be any more restrictions in uh, put in place, but it would be worth, if you can, wearing a mask in public transport in busy places, et cetera, et cetera. Because I feel like the public transport one is an easy ask. Just do that. like. like. Or I don't know why they don't just do put like make it essential on public transport.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, I think I know more people who have COVID or who've had COVID now in the last couple of weeks than I have at any other time during the pandemic, including myself. I had COVID for the first time last week. It's getting all the stragglers now, you see.
1: Yeah. I'm going to get a booster this, my uh, next booster this week. Oh, cool. That's another easy win if you can and you haven't had it. Um, The cost of living, continuing to go bananas, like actually bananas. Uh, Ireland, it turns out, is up there with Denmark as the most expensive countries in the EU. Now, the only comparison, though, is that Denmark has ex- ex- excellent public facilities, excellent amenities. Um, everything, their quality of life is unreal and um, their public realm is unreal and all their services that they provide, in child- including childcare, etc., is excellent. Whereas we don't really have those things,
2: they have Lego.
1: We are
0: just in
3: bits.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's like now you're on par with these people, but you don't have any of the benefits. That's cool, right? You don't mind spending all that money,
0: and you don't get any of the benefits. Cool. Um, Can I give you some of the figures on the cost of living thing with the European comparison? Yes. Um, So. Connor, um Pope has a piece in the Irish Times about this. So in a surprise to no one, we've got the third most expensive food and non-alcoholic beverages in the European Union. 19% above the EU average our food and non-alcoholic beverages are, right? Our health costs are the most expensive in the EU. 72% above average. Our housing costs you know, which includes kind of rents, mortgage rates, gas, electricity, all that, are the most expensive in the EU. Eighty nine percent average. Our communications costs, I that's like your phone bill and all that kind of crack. Third most expensive, forty seven percent above average. And like, um, uh, there is there's another word, forty. Oh yeah, yeah, and energy forty percent above. And not to mention you know, the, the the fact that it costs like seven quid for a drink. <laughs> I, I just think it's absolutely crazy. Like people are just creaming off the top. I don't care what people say about, oh, the tax this or the we're an island and blah, 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 blah. It's like people are just ripping the piss. Uh, and when we say people, I just keep going back to the example, right,
1: of petrol. The thing yeah. that's driving most increases because people need to transport food, they need da 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 And of the cost of that now, where it's like 2.19 or something a litre, the government's making a euro between taxes, excise, duty, etc. on that. So the bigger the increase in petrol gets, the more money they make. So surely the answer is for the government to make less money. And I know that's adding to our coffers and it's like, oh, well, if we do that, it's going to cost us this, it won't cost you anything because you're taking that money to give it back to us. And we need that money. So stop creaming the fucking petrol.
0: Or things like the minimum pricing in alcohol, which is just a subsidy that goes to supermarkets, basically. And it doesn't work, according to all that research in Scotland. It doesn't and actually all stop. Money,
1: all those mon- that money they gave to developers to build.
0: Yeah. All the recent stories that's been, Killian Woods
1: has been covered of like all these, uh, do, not, I won't say the word donation, all these things they've been subsidies, doing. Subsidies, yeah. Subsidies to developers. They're just making things more expensive. So yeah, apparently there's going to be no intervention before the next budget. Um, however, there is going to be a rise uh, in pay for top earning public servants next week. Cool. Now, there has been a big focus on keeping public pay rates down to stop inflation. There was an um, an offer of which was rejected of five percent um for public workers with unions over two years. So uh, the inflation must only work if you are uh, a worker and not a manager. Now, yes. At the same time. <laughs> If managers get w- wage increases, that doesn't affect inflation. It's just like you know the w- workers, um, and that actually ties in very uh, succinctly. I also like that is a legal uh repayment when uh pay rates were reduced during our um
0: crisis, financial crisis. So yeah, it does I, like, all feed into the kind of yeah. elites versus the, you know, if it's like the yeah. of judges and people getting more money, it's like, Jesus Christ, could you not have somehow foreseen that to, like, not make that happen? And, like,
1: I know, people should get what the, like, doctors deserve to be paid more, blah, 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 blah. But it does pay into the strikes that are going on in the UK. Um, rail, in particular, is causing a bit of uh, uh, hullabaloo. It is worth uh, noting that if you're if you are inconvenienced that not to take it out on staff, that it is the the management that are the issue, but also that rail strike is moving into teachers, doctors, nurses, bin men who are not being paid enough. And again, it goes back to during the pandemic when we were like, these are the people who make our society work who aren't being paid. Um, And these are the people who still aren't being respected and paid enough. And I think we can all say that we, well, well, I'm going to speak for myself here. Mick Lynch the union hero we all want to represent us, who just did the best interviews all day yesterday. He's just the coolest dude in the world. Yeah, he's real. Just it. like
0: cop on. Why? Like the is he the guy what, who did the interview with Kay Burley? Yeah, she's losing her shit, and he's like, "What are you trying to make me say, Kay? <gasps> what are
1: you going? How are you going to stop them crossing these uh, people crossing the line?
0: Yeah, will just pass them to Kay. They're yeah, but what, sh- what are you going to do? We're gonna shoot them point blank range the minute they walk into a trade station. Like, is that what you wanted him to say? Anyway, this go on, is go this on, Mick
1: Protest day. This is it. Look here is the people protesting. This is what we're gonna do. But what are you going to? Like she lost her shit. Um. Also losing their shit, uh, the T shock has said he's pretty shit afraid of the winter coming because fuel rationing is on the cards. Uh, interesting move. Um. If only there was something we could do to save our fuel and energy costs. Ooh, I don't know. Data centers. Oh, I don't know. Maybe wind and solar power. Oh, I don't know. Maybe look at alternatives. I don't know. Save the world as well with our ecological imprint. Oh, I don't know. If only there was something we could have done or could still do but anyway let's keep building those data centres we need a bit of money going to like 1% of the population and everyone else has to ration their fucking fuel Um, speaking of rationing Irish frontline staff still waiting on those 1k's they were promised <laughs> like even when our government tries to do something nice they fuck it up <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> like fuck's sake Um, it's real like no I did bring you a present back from holidays it's just (laughs) I I left it home again sorry
1: image of me I do that all the time uh Still happening is 206 women traveling to the UK for abortions. That was last year. Uh, The vast majority of those women uh, from the Republic were over 12 weeks pregnant and uh, ineligible for termination services in Ireland. um, And some 50% of those were fetal anomaly cases. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. There is still very big gaps in our legislation. We still uh, need um, those... Zones, anti protest zones of going to the doctor. Imagine being protested, going to the doctor. Um, Safe zones. Uh, A lot of work still to do there. A lot of work also still to be done on Saudi's human rights reputation. However, if someone's going to stick up for that, that's going to be Leo Vrecker, who's been (laughs)
0: justifying
1: his trip to Saudi in the news this week. Um, And further afield is. India had massive floods. 4.7 million people became homeless in one week. Jesus. Like that is like, and you just have to look at all the weather crises that are happening around the world. That was in India, in the U S in the park um, Yellowstone park, there was like, they had to close it off. There was a uh, big collapse mudslides. Um, I just don't want to end the state of the nation with it really feels like the end of the world is coming. But here we are.
0: Can I just say two things on Leo? Um, one the Saudi yeah. human rights stuff. Like he's I just he's just some, sometimes ultimately the like the ultimate like well actually guy. Um and then the other thing is he did an interview with the currency um and the top line in it is basically about data centers and he's talking about, um, you know, this kind of industry spin of, you know, just parroting the stuff from, um, big tech that they're, that actually, Oh, you know, it's actually an ecosystem. And, you know, this using these mining and gold storage, um, metaphors, you know, previously he, I think Martin Shanahan was speaking, uh, using this metaphor of diamond mining (laughs) and now Leo is using this metaphor of like storing gold Um, and basically what he said is that they're going to introduce new policy to prioritize data centers Um, so that's even going perhaps further than our already insane uh, free-for-all has gone so I think that's really really worrying Um, and you know there's obviously loads of people making an awful lot of money from from building these things, leaving aside uh, the big tech thing. And I just really, really think, I know I've been writing about this for years, but I just really think that people need to pay more attention to this massive, massive, um, you know, industrial moment that we're having in this country that seems to just be completely um, detached from reality and certainly detached from our climate goals and our energy resources. And what's that about, guys? Okay, now it's time for our main bit. So in 2001, uh, it evokes the dark hedonism of um, loads of aspects of of the gay scene and the fun hedonism of it all as well. And that piece recently leapt from screen to stage at the Cork Bitsummer Festival and this week opens at Project Arts Centre in Temple Bar, where we are right now, where it runs until July second. Um, It's beautiful, it's compelling, it's exciting, it's immersive, it's deadly, and we'd encourage everyone to go and see it. So we're going to talk about some of the things the piece raises uh, with Philly and Philip now. Hello. Hello. Hi. In person, exciting. (laughs) Um, Now, what was the party scene pitch starting off?
2: I can't remember a pitch per se, but you and I had been talking a lot and specifically over the first lockdown, and we'd been talking about chemsex and we'd been talking about how the party scene, clubbing, nightlife, drugs, music, just how Dublin had, like, the gay scene had changed and what the kind of the ebb and flow of that was. And that was coupled with we were seeing, like, friends, friends of friends, who were not doing okay on the scene, and we were kind of thinking, like, we were wondering what a piece of art could contribute to the conversation around this, if anything. Um, but we, we were compelled to do something. And our do something is, you know, make a show. Mm.
3: Yeah, it's funny, because you're, you're always thinking, like, from, from one piece to the next, what, how can you be, make the most honest work? So uh, constantly kind of thinking, what's touching me? What's affecting me? How can I actually approach something in an honest way without it being artificial? And, and as Philly said, it, it was in the ether, and both quite separately, actually. We, you know, had experiences uh, with, with, with friends who, who were maybe having problems with it. And, um, and somebody had actually said to me to... to they, they, they wanted to commission me to make something in, in Mexico City, which sounded like it was a great idea at the time, around ChemSec. So there was... A, and it never worked out. But so there was... I was already thinking, God, how would I approach it? Like, they didn't know me at all. And I was like, how would I approach a work around this, this, whole, this whole world. And uh, so it was actually great when we decided that we were going to deal with this theme and, and, and actually get, get, our, get our hands dirty.
2: Yeah, I think something that is... I suppose to be really clear, because we we often find ourselves going, you know, the people were not doing okay, or, you know... things to be really clear, there were young men dying on the gay scene in Dublin, right? And so we were compelled to be part of a dialogue around that and of course there are amazing people working in services and stuff like that but we as this kind of we were like who is talking about this and how how do we talk about it Um, because you know because because homophobia because moral panic um, and of course you know I want everyone to be able to take drugs and have sex if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. But I want everyone to be able to do it safely and to be able to look after each other. So that's why the conversation became very important to us.
0: Mm. It's such a tricky thing to delve into, isn't it? Because like, the scene and all of its diversity holds all these social behaviours that can be brilliantly hedonistic and then yin and yang, right? They can go badly as well. It's so hard to discuss and translate that in the broader default straight world, I guess, because of all the architecture of homophobia that just bashes shit all the time. It must have been a really tricky one to tease out.
3: Well, I think very early on in the process, we decided that it wasn't our responsibility to kind of push an audience in any particular direction. Of course for, for, for us you know, personally I think it's my way of understanding the work the world. Making art is my way of understanding it. So it's it, personally and quite selfishly uh, I'm doing this or we're doing this because we need to understand. And so part of understanding is not taking a stance on anything. And the, the, when we decided that we weren't going to do that, that was really quite freeing because as you said it's an incredibly nuanced world and there's there, there are so many details
2: and you cannot tell every story
0: yeah and you're not providing service or writing policy like
2: no absolutely and I, th- I think there's a lot of code switching that ha- has had to go on with this show because part of making a show is that you show up on national radio and you start talking about the show and all of that kind of stuff and of course the first question that people ask is well what's chemsex and you kind of think oh well that's we're so like we're our response to it is so far beyond that that it's like you know, it's like a, you know a film about alcoholism and somebody saying well well what's alcoholism? It's like oh no, we're so far beyond that that actually we haven't got to have the honest conversation about the world and we won't until we're in the theater in our heads in like until you know the people that really want to talk about the subject matter who want to understand more or who want to share their own experience that all happens in the theater but yeah there's a whole navigation piece around you know we're not there to educate the irish public we're there to give an artistic response to our lives our friends lives and the scene that we've emerged from
3: and the beauty and the ugliness and everything that's involved in all of that I mean it would be a really boring piece of art if you started trying to tell people how to live their lives and,
0: yeah. um, and that's a very good point to start from in any kind of creative endeavour um, what was the research phase the production like what kind of approach did you take to garner a broad or diverse you know, bunch of experiences or did you do that?
3: We started with, uh, we did a call out for, uh, we did like a questionnaire call out um, to the public um, uh, to find out, you know, uh, to try and get a, get a hands-on approach. So, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the people we'd speak to are professionals, academics, uh, and other artists or, or, or our own friends, which is a relatively small circle, so we wanted to kind of uh, expand on that and kind of get a hands, yeah, a, a ground uh, on the ground kind of idea of what was what was happening out there and that was the first stage and then it was just speaking to as many people watching, reading, it was just really filling our heads with with as much as we possibly could, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. We had, in our call out we'd had a hundred people respond and uh, and that was just really intriguing to hear, you know, what people were going through, and it was it was specifically kind of Dublin, Ireland focused. Um, and then speaking to friends, and, and and a friend had kind of shared an experience with me, who had you know he would consider himself in recovery, and he was kind of saying, um, you know, the amazing thing about gay life is that you can you know, and we, and I include Philip and I, in this is like you, the attractiveness of dancing so close to the flame all of the time. But I, he was said in his head he either had to commit to the world, and the world by the world I mean the world of chems, um, or he had to stop it entirely. And so he was in the period where he was he was stopped entirely. So we were kind of intrigued by kind of these ideas and where we sat in the material as well as gay men as gay men who enjoy all of life like everybody else. And I think that you know. What's hard to unpick, certainly in the marketing of a play or on national radio or something like that, is like you know chem sex in inverted commas It's like there's a whole bunch of things that are going on there, and chemicals is one of them, sex is another thing, and then there's all of the baggage that we all bring from our past, from our present um and our and our anxieties around all of that um so trying so. All of this was in the kind of the research soup. And then we kind of read and watched everything that we could and spoke to as many people as we could. Mm.
0: And what was the reaction from your like gay male peers? Because it can be funny to, I don't know, sometimes I think a lot of queers think that when you raise certain things that are very in-house that you're kind of like speaking out of school. Um, I was talking to Tori Peters recently about her anxieties when she wrote Detransition Baby and loads of her trans girlfriends were like, why are you like dishing all the dirt? You know, and like there's, there's certain aspects of that, I think, that are hard to transmit or in the like transphobic debate, a lot of dykes are like, why are cis straight women pulling out all of these lesbian talking points in feminism from the 70s and repurposing them as weaponized kind of disinformation? So like, it's really hard to actually that educate people or whatever but but I'm kind of going off on one now but I want to know what the did you come up against any friction with your gay male peers around like this is not something that you bring out into the broader world even through a creative process?
3: I think did, I think it did definitely happen and it does and it does happen and it and it will happen um, it's it's kind of strange isn't it it's like post-marriage referendum you've got kind of this odd kind of heteronormativity and you know, wanting to normalize everything and so you're dirtying, dirtying that territory by bringing up this kind of darker side or, or more hedonistic side of, of the community and then of course and then, and then uh, on the other side you've got people who are like you've got to tell this story right and they've got very personalized very specific accounts of it and of course you're trying to be as general and as um, open to everything as you can, but within that you're creating a work and you're making decisions and you're making specific choices. So, as I said before, you're never going to completely keep everyone happy and that's absolutely fine, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I think one of the most important things is, again, that we're, as Philly said, in the theatre the conversation will begin. People see the work, people start talking about it. It's about talking about it, it's a group, about creating a space for conversation and as long as there's conversation... Then that's a really
2: healthy thing. I think there's a funny thing about queer storytelling. Like in my 15 years of putting, you know, queer plays on stage, which is everyone's crying out. It's like we need more queer stories, and then you do it, and people are like, "Well, no, not, not like that. that one." <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just that thing of there is there there is a tension, I suppose, with people feeling that you, as the person that's putting it on stage is taking ownership in some way. Um, And of course, that's not the point, but it is our artistic response to it. And we hope that we can shed light for other people within that or whatever. Uh, But something that has really, you know, has played on our minds, certainly COVID, post COVID, is that like, we don't want to be part of, uh, you know, a system kicking people while they're down. Talking about like addiction, and just to, you know to say in the, in the chemsex community, a lot of people are fine, but the, for the people that are not, we don't want to marginalise the marginalised, right? And it's a really niche, small group of people. So there is a sense of, I, I think, yeah, we've had tough conversations with some friends. Some friends have uh, reacted strangely, but I think that's all part of the process. And you know, it's 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 difficult work, and we have to go through it.
0: Mm. Um. Maybe this is an unfair question, but like as you were exploring different themes and they were emerging or different experiences, and it's not about having own personal judgments on it, but like personal ideas and thoughts about it. Because I know a lot of queer women, and like I include myself in this, talk to other queer women about the distance that this scene creates within the community, and that it feels certainly for. Cis women, very inaccessible, very underground. And then also, you know, I too have, you know, people I know who've got messed up in particular ways and there doesn't seem to be an access point because I'm female and it's quite distant from lesbian culture in, in many ways. Like, what aspects did it raise from you? Because sometimes I just feel like, oh man, I feel so, if when people like fall down into addiction holes that are also tied up with sex, as well as drugs. I just feel so bad that there's probably a lot of trauma kind of being projected or emitting through that. And I don't know how, as a person who is in the community more broadly to like help or offer assistance, or is that even a role or?
2: I think we're just, I I just don't know if we're at the point yet. And I hope we are soon around like where peer to peer support you know is is obviously it's happening but it's just happening in in very specific areas i think i think that like part of the the kind of added spice of the irish problem is shame around our bodies right and the kind of the way that we're kind of brought up to hate our bodies and be suspicious of us so there's a lot of secrecy is you know if you go to Germany and people are like oh yes well you know here's, where, here's my views on sex or whatever and Irish people just don't have that so I think there's a lot of shame and I think there's a lot of secrecy and of course you know what happens in in order to um, to negotiate your own behavior whether it's your drug or sexual behavior you're going to link up with like-minded people right and so the kind of wall comes up around around that scene around the scene I would say and so uh, that is hard to penetrate and I think the further out from gay men you get the harder it is. Mm.
0: Talk to me about the like the creative decisions around it Philip you're a choreographer and a dancer and that's your medium for the most part how was it for you to transmit that kind of I mean it's such a a visceral form anyway and this is a visceral topic and a visceral production. What were your creative decisions in making that kind of stuff come to light around movement?
3: Just from my own personal experience uh, in the world I had specific imagery that I wanted to work with that um, I was really interested in this kind of um, Juggling of plates that can happen uh, with when you, when you put sex and drugs together, and so um, I I kind of had this image of being at this sex party, and uh, you know people were on their phones and having sex and watching TV and having very banal conversations about holidays in Barcelona, and it was all happening at the same time. And I thought, oh fuck, wow, this is really and so. So there was something about. Um, There was something about that that was a really interesting starting point that so many things can exist in the same space at the same time. And... uh And then also, and I always feel like I have a bit of imposter syndrome um, as a a choreographer dealing with themes sometimes because you can be extremely abstract with it because there's so much that's read in the body. And already when you approach a movement having discussed or, you know, as we did or, or, or delved into a subject matter... Almost whatever movement you put on top of it becomes really enriched and kind of um, starts to uh, pulse with a different energy and uh, I particularly like the fact that you know everybody 's experience of the same movement is very different depending on the year, the life, the day, the morning they 've had and so coming in with the title of the show it 's already highly charged, and so for me, it was really interesting to play with that. And, and, see, and, and see the outcome. Mm. I want to talk about um, the difficulties that uh,
0: live performance is experiencing right now. We were talking yesterday, Philip, about, you know, you were saying, like, people who are just working from home or even in office jobs don't understand that restrictions still exist for, for live performers. We've had a situation... In Dublin and Cork where the gate has been shut for a week, the Abbey's been shut for a week, the National Symphony Orchestra had to pull performances, Anu uh, in Cork have had to pull performances and it just feels like, apart from very grinding and tiring, edgy and wor- worrying, what has it been like probably coming into this process being like, yay we've got a show and now you're like, oh God, well, how do we keep this thing on the road?
2: I think there's I think it's a new and huge anxiety around around working and that's just like in the workplace a bit, you know I there must be other industries that are experiences that I just don't know about but it feels like as everybody's kind of going oh it's a common cold and we've got to learn to live with it and all that still if somebody gets covid your show is shut down you can see that large organizations are shut down which means they're hemorrhaging money which means people are out of work all of that and so you know Right now, we're, you know, our testing regime, it's masks in the theatre, um, it's asking performers not to do certain things in their lives, like go to restaurants or bars. And so, this is all to make shows happen. So, it's not sustainable, um, but it is the world that we're in right now. And so, as we sit here, we're keeping our fingers crossed for, a, a, you know, a clean sweep of a 10-show run. And as soon
3: as we finish the rehearsals, we put the dancers back in the wardrobe.
2: And, um, no, but, but,
3: but... God love them, they're up there now. Uh, but, uh, no, the, the, it's kind of funny because uh, its I've always found it, uh, you know... Having worked abroad for many years and then coming back to Ireland, I was like, "How do these big, particularly big productions, not have understudies? You know, and like how have they managed all this time? Because even at the best of times, somebody gets sick or somebody, you know, and so that's, that's and, and and definitely in this last two years, it's something that we just. And, and, and still it's happening, you know, that somebody gets sick and everything shuts down. It's like we, we have to start budgeting in, figuring out, reevaluating how we put on a production and what other pieces need to be put in place so that this doesn't happen. So, you know, we can turn this into something also, you know, there's a sunny side to every situation. Maybe that's too big a phrase, but um, it's something we have to start considering.
0: It does really seem that that's going to have to be something that drops in to um, live art because if you look at the film industry and obviously there's tremendous amounts of private money in film and television production but you know there's entire new departments now on sets in terms of Covid compliance and that has to you know function in a a, a particular way and they're testing all the time and all that kind of stuff but like is it going to be the case that arts funding the arts council and so on is now going to have to look at as you say we need this um, safety net understudy infrastructure in productions. Is that realistic?
2: It's realistic that it the line has to go in, and the case can be made whether the you know whether the arts council and the government meet that request. I don't know, but you know, it's certainly the way forward. And pulling a show is expensive, you know.
3: So if if you have to, you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I mean, you have to really consider what's what's going to make it work in the I long term.
2: didn't you know, Borgos had to pull a waitress last week and you kind of like shows of... So The Abbey, The Gate and Board gosh, like that's just huge ticket sales down the drain, you know, massive shows.
0: Um, what other creative projects are you working on or thinking
2: about right now? Oh gosh, what are we doing? The, the new show? <laughs> Holiday the Musical is what I'm thinking about. (laughs) We are working on... uh, We are working on... We can't say too much about it, but Philip and I are working on a kind of big celebratory anniversary, 15-year anniversary, This Is Pop Baby. Exciting production. Extravaganza.
3: It's an extravaganza. We're very excited about it. And the change is as good as the rest, you know? So when we finish this...
0: (laughs) I also have to ask, it is um, Pride this weekend. Um, One of the bastions of queer culture in this country for a long time was Gay Christmas, which was Alternative Miss Ireland. I have been on a heavy um, one-person lobbying campaign for that to return, which primarily involves talking to you at three o'clock in the morning, Philip, Mm -hmm. and saying, you have to bring it back. (laughs) Um, Is there hope on the horizon for AMI to return? Do you think?
2: I think AMI has to return. I think it's urgent and pressing. I don't make that decision. So, you know, I keep every now and again, I kind of send the bat signal to the gay elders and, and see what comes back. But I think that what's really interesting about AMI is that a decade has gone by now, right? The city has changed radically yet again. Our performance scene is extraordinary. And so it would be just, it'd be so intriguing to see who would enter, who would show up. And you know, there was just amazing work done for charity. So I think it's a no brainer. Um, But it ain't my call.
0: Who do we need to talk to then? Niall Sweeney. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) Niall, if you're listening. Um, Thanks so much. And uh, the show is on Project Arts Centre from now, essentially until uh, the 2nd of July uh, everybody should go see it and thank you so much for joining us in United Ireland and happy Pride
3: happy Pride happy Pride
0: what's getting in the sea this week Andrea
1: in the sea this week God, I feel like we're back to him again Jesus obviously these are all written separately uh so it feels like it, it obviously didn't just happen. Leo, uh, Pierce Doherty picked at Leo, Leo picked back, but he had a lot of historical stuff that was obviously indicating that this moment had been, he'd been waiting for it. It had finally come. He was taken Pierce Doherty down to Chinatown for telling a guard when he was like 17 to that it was a load of bollocks or something and he was arrested. So uh, uh, this was his big gotcha moment. Um, and obviously something that happened millions of years ago versus a, a live investigation that's happening now is probably not the actually <laughs> moment that you think it is. But also, so that's not what's getting in the sea. It, like, Grant, play your politics, boys. Absolute saps. We've nothing else to worry about except for, well, you did this. You, uh. Anyway, that's a really good political commentary, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I know you but, are, but what am I? But... The big problem for that was the the narrative that came through that seemed to be off the cuff of like um, the conversation that included things like, uh, well, you took money from vagabonds who live in caravans. And it was very, um, it kind of felt like it might have been off the cuff, which it definitely wasn't. Um, but the, the, the issue with that statement in itself is bad enough but as we've been kind of talking about the fact that this is now going to be a strategy of a playing to a certain cohort of people and really nustling in on who the Fine Gael voter is. And, and in the meantime, throwing so many people under the bus who happen to be maybe not rich white
3: men.
0: Also, who says vagabonds? Like, what is he, like, possessed by the ghost of Victorian schoolmaster or something? Do you know what I mean? Well,
1: I hope this was a nod to that because Body and Sel put in their final post of, like, the end of the season. It was literally like, to all the vagabonds he joined us.
0: <laughs> but it's real, like, go to the market and fetch me some suet. These 420 blackbirds are to go to bake themselves into a pie. You know, vagabonds like walking around Dublin 8 with like a hound and a big stick and being like, out of my way, you waifs, or I'll put you in stocks. Taunish that. Please don't talk to the Fumbly's customers like that. Um, but
1: Leo did then show that he has got a heart as he took in a Ukrainian refugee, which feels totally natural and something
0: he would normally do. <laughs> um, we should definitely do an episode on this like switch in Finnegal's messaging where they think that they're going to really own it and get tough. And, you know, that thing that we've been doing that hasn't worked, let's do that, but more. And, you know, we can joke about it and we can joke about how trash their messaging is, but really trying to consolidate the nastier, the nastiest side of your base and playing to just the cheap seats in, I don't know, young finnigan or whatever or like your fanboys on twitter who think that this like ridiculous macho bluster is somehow a win is so embarrassing and will backfire obviously but more serious than that you're right andrea like pulling political discourse down and dividing people further and making people more angry and um being like, trying to assert yourself in this way that's so empty and says nothing about your ideas and what you're about and everything about how you are just offensive and lashing out at people who are more popular than you. It's pathetic. and it's really, really terrible for discourse. And they're going to keep doing it, you know, because this the thing that Finnegal say about everyone, else they do themselves. They talk about Sinn Féin as this Trumpy inspector and then they go off and they make their stupid, pathetic, angry little attack videos and alarm bells on Twitter about working class people voting and all of the other horrible things that they do. And then they go, people don't like us. What's wrong? You're a bunch of vagabonds. Anyway. Anyway,
1: get in the sea. That kind of discourse, Yes. now it's time for It's Bananas. Okay. as Like, I feel like I'm lost for words again. Once again, we're in the situation where a social gathering place is being knocked down to make way for a hotel. The Holiday Inn is has gotten to go ahead to expand, um, which knocks out the beer garden of three pubs just off O'Connell Street, um, and there was an issue. The Holiday Inn were complaining about noise, which, um, was all like the pu- the beer gardens were there before the Holiday Inn was built, so they should have been responsible for building a ho- hotel that was able to handle the noise. Um, however, the the beer gardens are owned by the Holiday Inn, which obviously is owned by an international fund. So who cares about what the people in Dublin want to do? Um, we need more hotel rooms and crap hotel rooms. Of that There I said it. Um, but as an aside to that, so we're all like, oh, there's no hotel rooms. We need more hotels. Let's remember that hotels can't get stuff either. So loads of the hotels that are built have empty floors. So they're putting their prices up to cover the cost of them not being able to open completely because we've no people who are able to work in the hotels left in the city. So that's one problem. So then Lonely Planet are then warning tourists about the horrors of visiting Dublin. So soon we're not going to have any tourists either. So it almost feels like all these plans that we were going to build a city for tourists is going to not work because the tourists aren't going to come anywhere because there's no hotel rooms, there's nowhere to stay, they can't get in here, uh, there's nothing to do when they get here and everyone who lives here has moved out because they can't afford to live here. What could go wrong?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Somebody could have had a thought about like building a livable city for the people who wanted to afford to be able to live there and just, you know, hang out and do nice things. And that would have appealed to tourists too. There's the problem. When
1: we build a city for people who don't live here, it's going to fall apart. Correct. Uh, So that's bananas. Second bananas, Twitter's board have recommended the sale of Twitter to Elon Musk. Boo. Yeah. And you have to wonder if... Elon Musk's daughter changed their pronouns legally and gave reason of, I no longer live with or wish to be related to my biological father in any way, shape or form. And we're going to give over the, uh, the conversational piece of most of the world to this person. What could go wrong? Oh. Everything. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bananas. Okay. Now, some five bits, please.
0: You're full of I can just I can just see festival season almost like emerging from your I just like in glitter and joy and you know the frosty surface of a can of white claw. That's <laughs> what that's that's your whole vibe at the moment. Oh, it really is. Um obviously Body
1: and Cell was an absolute delight. Um specifically Rosie Murphy obviously's performance where I was holding her hand it's true I'm now a Murphette the equivalent of a believer. I'm a full-blown fangirl um but it's like she was just unreal as always but the festival was so unreal it was just the best body and soul I've been to in so long it was a gorgeous sight um and like always, I never go. I never go to festivals to see the acts, essentially. And I always see the come back. Go. So I saw two acts the whole weekend. What was I doing while I was there? Because I can't figure it out. Um, having a ball is the answer and going for a wander. And it was just perfect. It was just the right amount of people. The site was fab. The vibes were immaculate. Everyone was there to have a good time. It was just brilliant and fair play to the organisers and they made the right decision. And long may you tap into your who you are and not try to be something else because it felt like it was getting bigger and out of control and bigger acts and everything. But like the fact that the one of the highlights was the pagan rave on the uh, Toby Hashett stage and that he uh, designed beautifully to have this gorgeous sound system. Uh, The fact that that was one of the highlights says everything you need to know, that we have everything here. And it kind of is a metaphor for our country, I think. We have everything here. If we tap into what we have, um, apart from Rosie Murphy Importer. Oh, she's Irish. She's from our club. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I stand corrected. But like we have a rich, diverse community of people. We have so many talented people. We have and um, we have what we need. We don't need to look for it elsewhere and we don't need to try and keep getting bigger. We, we can be what we are at the size we are. So I feel like there's a big metaphor there that I'm really going to explore in depth later on. Um, my other fave bit uh, in full fangirl mode, Roisin did an interview on Animax Changes podcast, which I love that podcast um, because it really helps you if you are going through different stages. And as we have all been during the pandemic, of who we are, where are we going, what's the change in our lives going to be. Um it's a really good podcast for that. Roshi talking about all our changes. Uh really excited about the mother block parties this weekend. I, I like I love that we're in the season that it's like Festival, another festival, next festival, another <laughs> club, next club. Uh we're in full steam ahead. Uh Years and Years are on Friday, then the block party Saturday, Sunday. What a weekend. Uh came home from Bodies and Soul, watched halftime. Boom. Oh my God. It's so good. Which is J-Lo's documentary. Um I know you have something to say about it as well, Inna, but I would like to highlight specifically JLo's giant bedazzled coffee cup that she carries for a lot of it. Um, and somebody sent me uh, a link to where you could buy something similar. Um, it's Versace and it's €850. Euro. Like for something that looks so cheap and tacky. Are you joking me? But, but, her, but her one on isn't
0: Sachi. Versace. Her one is no, it's it's custom. Starbucks. Yeah, it's custom Swarsky crystal. One, she's got a few different ones.
1: Uh, well, big up to JLo and her glamour. I just love her tizzy style. Um, but that's very superficial because underneath, it's so interesting to see the grit and then like... I don't want to be like People magazine or in touch celebrities. They're just like us. But like when you actually are like, I just was screaming when she was talking about her family WhatsApp group and she's like, yeah, my film just premiered. They're like, yeah, go Jets. Uh, Guys, (laughs) premiere. Yeah, it went really well. Any, yeah, Jets just scored. Yeah, no, it's just I I released a film and it was really good. It might get an Academy Award or something. You know, any any thoughts? Woo, Jets. We need a kicker. (laughs) We can all identify um, gas. Uh, Also, I love that for the month of pride, all uh, Warner's profits from the streams of Vogue. uh, Not uh, Vogue Williams, but Vogue Madonna's uh, poignant song are going to belong to. And finally... Uh, it's Glasgow week. I'm not going. I could never go to it. I do not have the stamina and I just think I would probably have an anaphylactic shock. But I do love watching everyone else's stories and journeys and coverage from it. I think it looks absolutely epic. I could not do it myself, but
0: I love watching it unfold and what comes out of it. You totally could do it. You totally could do it. I do it nearly every year. I'm not going this year. It's not. People think it's super intimidating. It's not. It's like, a, you know, 10 small festivals in one large site and you can go at your own pace. You can do whatever you want. It's, the, it's the camping is the is the, you know, you are there for like five nights.
1: That's what I can't do. I don't care. Like the festival, Grant, That's no problem. It's like walking back to your campsite. That was what was so good about Body and Cell. The site was small, so you could pop back to your car. And mm. we slept in our car and it's like, pop back, get a bit. Come back, get your cans. did, 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 did. That's grand. Can't take a big uh, festival site. So I just cu- I just couldn't cope. I'd be like, oh, I should walk all the way home. Like I heard stories of people like who started their nights on the walk home with like their drinks or whatever, because they're like, okay, well, it's, it's two hours now from the site to our oh, camp. Wouldn't be
0: that long. I mean, it wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be walking that lo- I mean, it, there is a lot of walking. Like you might be, you could be an hour from your tent, let's say. I know, but then you get a little bit diverted. You, know, <laughs> you <be> do. <laughs> you love a diversion. I love a diversion. <laughs> okay. My fave bits Um, I'm going to start with halftime, Andrea. I I completely, you know, in shock development, I agree with everything that you say. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we all know J-Lo is a fantastic actor, but she's not that good to be able to fake the authenticity that comes through. And the hurt that she's experienced with these sexist, racist, douchebag media dicks over the years, slagging her off, slagging her body, objectifying her, saying she's a shit singer when she's brilliant, saying she's a trash actor when she's an amazing actor, especially, do you know what, do you know what I ju- is just a cultural block in my mind, is American late night talk shows, like all these fucking white guys slagging women basically a lot of the time (laughs) and just like making these like crap jokes about celebrities and that really came through like all of the people like Conan O'Brien and all these people who've been really horrible to her over the years but then just how great and talented she is like such an amazing dancer so sound like Jesus Christ she works all the time like obviously I know she's got like millions and millions of dollars and loads of help and all that kind of stuff and massive teams but like she puts the airs in, doesn't she? Not even just the airs. She puts her heart and soul into everything. And you mm. can
1: see that when she's having that chat with the dancers of being like, look, I see you, but I'm also looking at the camera and I see the camera sees me because I can do everything at the same time. I'm like, yes, you can, Jano, you can do everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, and still one of the great, great oversight. I know awards are bullshit in general, but like the massive oversight of her not getting nominated for Hustlers. I mean, that's just appalling. And for Hustlers not getting nominated for Best Picture as well. And also that year was so whack, like The Farewell didn't get nominated. That was a load of bollocks as well. It was a great film. So I will forever be resentful about Hustlers not getting its dues because it's so brilliant. But of course, Mm. as we mentioned on the pod a couple of weeks ago, um, we do have two upcoming films from her, including one where she plays that biopic, where she plays that like, Female drug lord. Just cannot wait. Um, Okay, so my other fave bits. I went on a film binge um, during my COVID convalescence, which was the one good part of being sick. Um, These are the films that I watched.
1: That that sounds like, you know, when you're in school, here's what I did. This is what I did this weekend. My cat had kittens. I went
0: to the park with my mum. Yeah. So I basically, um, I don't know if any of you listeners subscribe to Mubi, uh, which is a really great film streaming thing, but I do and I love it. Um, So on that, I watched The Souvenir Part 1. Amazing. The Souvenir Part 2. Amazing. John Hogg Films kind of semi-autobiographical films about her being a film student. Gorge, just my speed. Nothing really happens. Everyone's sad. Perfect. Jesus. (laughs) The worst person in the world. I'm never going to cinema with you. The the the, The worst person in the world. Amazing, amazing film. So brilliant, so moving. I'd heard so much about it. Gorgeous character study. It's so gorgeous. I love, love, love. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Swan Song. Very sweet film about a kind of older gay gentleman in a nursing home who leaves and kind of walks back through his old, very small town and revisits all of his memories. So sweet and beautiful. Thank you, Adam, for recommending that. And finally, what may now be my favorite film of the past few years: Drive My Car. Right. I missed it in the cinema. Uh, obviously, it won won the Academy Award for best foreign language film or whatever it's just it, it's extraordinary it's so beautiful it's just brilliant it's just masterclass really of filmmaking and of life it is about three hours long I could actually do with it being another hour long it's so great I didn't want to stop watching it it's amazing so those would be my um, gorgeous. where can you watch Drive My Car I'll watch that this weekend Movie. okay probably not. or you can rent it I'm sure you can rent it from okay. places that you can rent things online nice. Um, I'm Halfway through Hacks season two, Hacks is just one of my favorite TV shows of the past year or two. I just, it's so funny and just so well written, so well structured and Megan Stalter is in it. And, you know, need I say more? Um, Also very excited about the Mother block parties this weekend. Very excited to see Anita and our gorgeous Brazilian queer community go absolutely bananas for her. And also peaches, and it's so mad. Anita's massive. Like nobody, the kind of the mainstream media is lying to us. <laughs> nobody seems to be covering the fact that there's like the biggest star from South America playing um, in Dublin this weekend, and like obviously like she all, played a
1: huge stage at Coachella.
0: Yeah. Um. So that's just going to be great. Yeah, with like Snoop Dogg and was like yeah. hanging around with Megan The Stallion at the Grammys and etc. Um. Oh, that was card a little bit. No jokes. Okay. Um, and Peaches <laughs> as well is playing on Sunday. Um, all gonna it's be playing. Like. This is all gonna happen in um Collins Barracks uh at the museum down there where her mother are having their two-day well, three-day party really. Three-day extravaganza. And I'm going to see Sharon. We're recording this on a Wednesday. I'm going to see Sharon Vanetten at Vickers Street tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. I love her. I love all the gigs that are happening at the moment. I love seeing everyone. I didn't go to Phoebe Bridgers, but um, it was gassed to see all the videos of people just like losing their minds. And I just love a good, powerful woman rock moment in a shock development. <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing... Like China Harry Berlin. Styles. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Harry Styles is the most beautiful lesbian of the all. Let's face it. <laughs> a little cutie. Like a little button. And he was rocking around St. William Street there. Obviously, because it's the center of the universe. Yeah. Now, shout out to some of our listeners. Happy birthday, Ben. Thanks to everyone who got touch about our um, anti-transphobia discourse rant last week. (laughs) Um, Appreciate it. There's obviously a lot of very stressful, irritating, stupid, and irresponsible vibes happening in the media at the moment that are deeply impacting our trans non-binary comrades. And media needs to cop on. I was writing about it this week and really see things for what they are. And people who think that this stuff has a point need to look around and see who their allies are. And I understand that people may be entering this discourse, uh, you know, newly, but people have a duty to figure out why they're only thinking and talking about this now, how they're being influenced by manufactured and inauthentic debate. And also, you know, as a lesbian, I just feel very, very eye about all of this stuff because certainly myself and my um, queer female friends have had these conversations like, in the olden times and, you know, a lot of the stuff that's recurring right now are just like boring old um, talking points from, you know, tangled up lesbian feminism of the 1970s and onwards that were dealt with now being recycled and repurposed and weaponized as misinformation. So I'd implore if, if you're a cis straight woman and you think, oh, this sounds weird, maybe my rights are being infringed upon, maybe expand your knowledge of feminism and understand that a lot of this stuff was dealt with from the 70s onwards um, and it can be quite hurtful, uh, not that we're in a hierarchy or of hurt or whatever, but it can be quite annoying um, for lesbians to actually, once again, uh, be shown how poor um, allies some uh, cis straight women can be in this department when they will do everything but actually tackle male violence directly and think about uh, the idea that it's patriarchy that's... Um, fucking over trans people as well. So let's all get on board and support each other and not fall for any of this nonsense. Um, so shout out to everyone who's getting in touch about that as well. Uh, that is to say, happy Pride. Right, Andrea? Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> this, okay. Book- <laughs> this podcast is produced by Andrew Wagner at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his Gina chicken roll for a soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. Hit me with your best shot Oh, by the way My other fave bit um, Beyonce not Beyonce doing a- not Beyonce <laughs> You're not Andrea doesn't like Beyonce It's so weird I,
1: I don't dislike Beyonce I think she's fab I just don't Her music is just like Noise in my ears Um. Anyway yeah, It's my <laughs> in a Chicken Roll It's heartache Soul chaser yeah. <laughs> I'm Vanina Mullally I've been Andrea Horan This has been United Ireland And that was Party Scene Whoop